0: Chapter Thirteen of the Dog Crusoe and His Master. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron White. The Dog Crusoe and His Master by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Thirteen Escape from Indians, A Discovery, Alone in the Desert dick varley had spent so much of his boyhood in sporting about among the waters of the rivers and lakes near which he had been reared and especially during the last two years had spent so much of his leisure time in rolling and diving with his dog crusoe in the lake of the mustang valley that he had become almost as expert in the water as a south sea islander so that when he found himself whirling down the rapid river as already described he was more impressed with a feeling of gratitude to god for his escape from the indians than anxiety about getting ashore he was not altogether blind or indifferent to the danger into which he might be hurled if the channel of the river should be found lower down to be broken with rocks or should a waterfall unexpectedly appear after floating down a sufficient distance to render pursuit out of the question he struck into the bank opposite to that from which he had plunged and clambering up to the greensward above stripped off the greater part of his clothing and hung it on the branches of a bush to dry then he sat down on the trunk of a fallen tree to consider what course he had best pursue in his present circumstances these circumstances were by no means calculated to inspire him with hope or comfort he was in the midst of an unknown wilderness hundreds of miles from any white man's settlement surrounded by savages without food or blanket his companions gone he knew not whither perhaps taken and killed by the indians his horse dead and his dog the most trusty and loving of all his friends lost to him probably for ever a more veteran heart might have quailed in the midst of such accumulated evils but dick varley possessed a strong young and buoyant constitution which united with a hopefulness of disposition that almost nothing could overcome enabled him very quickly to cast aside the gloomy view of his case and turn to its brighter aspects he still grasped his good rifle that was some comfort and as his eye fell upon it he turned with anxiety to examine the condition of his powder-horn and the few things that he had been fortunate enough to carry away with him about his person the horn in which western hunters carry their powder is usually that of an ox it is closed up at the large end with a piece of hard wood fitted tightly into it and the small end is closed with a wooden peg or stopper it is therefore completely water tight and may be for hours immersed without the powder getting wet unless the stopper should chance to be knocked out dick found to his great satisfaction that the stopper was fast and the powder perfectly dry moreover he had by good fortune filled it full two days before from the package that contained the general stock of ammunition so that there were only two or three charges out of it his percussion caps however were completely destroyed and even though they had not been it would have mattered little for he did not possess more than half a dozen but this was not so great a misfortune as at first it might seem for he had the spare flintlocks and the little screwdriver necessary for fixing and unfixing them stowed away in his shot pouch to examine his supply of bullets was his next care and slowly he counted them out one by one to the number of thirty this was a pretty fair supply and with careful economy would last him many days having relieved his mind on these all-important points he carefully examined every pouch and corner of his dress to ascertain the exact amount and value of his wealth besides the leather leggings moccasins deer-skin hunting-shirt cap and belt which composed his costume he had a short heavy hunting-knife a piece of tinder a little tin pannikin which he had been in the habit of carrying at his belt and a large cake of maple-sugar this last is a species of sugar which is procured by the indians from the maple tree several cakes of it had been carried off from the pawnee village and dick usually carried one in the breast of his coat besides these things he found that the little bible for which his mother had made a small inside breast pocket was safe dick's heart smote him when he took it out and undid the clasp for he had not looked at it until that day It was firmly bound with a brass clasp, so that although the binding and the edges of the leaves were soaked, the inside was quite dry. On opening the book to see if it had been damaged, a small paper fell out. Picking it up quickly, he unfolded it, and read in his mother's handwriting, "'Call upon me in the time of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. My son, give me thine heart.' Dick's eyes filled with tears, while the sound, as it were, of his mother's voice thus reached him unexpectedly in that lonely wilderness. Like too many whose hearts are young and gay, Dick had regarded religion, if not as a gloomy, at least as not a cheerful thing. But he felt the comfort of these words at that moment, and he resolved seriously to peruse his mother's parting gift in time to come. The sun was hot and a warm breeze gently shook the leaves so that dick's garments were soon dry a few minutes served to change the locks of his rifle draw the wet charges dry out the barrels and reload then throwing it across his shoulder he entered the wood and walked lightly away and well he might poor fellow for at that moment he felt light enough in person if not in heart his worldly goods were not such as to oppress him but the little note had turned his thoughts towards home and he felt comforted traversing the belt of woodland that marked the course of the river dick soon emerged on the wide prairie beyond and here he paused in some uncertainty as to how he should proceed He was too good a backwoodsman, albeit so young, to feel perplexed as to the points of the compass. He knew pretty well what hour it was, so that the sun showed him the general bearings of the country, and he knew that when the night came he could correct his course by the pole star. Dick's knowledge of astronomy was limited. He knew only one star by name, but that one was an inestimable treasure of knowledge his perplexity was owing to his uncertainty as to the direction in which his companions and their pursuers had gone for he had made up his mind to follow their trail if possible and to render all the succour his single arm might afford to desert them and make for the settlement he held would be a faithless and cowardly act while they were together joe blunt had often talked to him about the route he meant to pursue to the rocky mountains so that if they had escaped the indians he thought there might be some chance of finding them at last but to set against this there was the probability that they had been taken and carried away in a totally different direction or they might have taken to the river as he had done and gone farther down without his observing them then again if they had escaped they would be sure to return and search the country round for him so that if he left the spot he might miss them oh for my dear pup crusoe he exclaimed aloud in this dilemma but the faithful ear was shut now and the deep silence that followed his cry was so oppressive that the young hunter sprang forward at a run over the plain as if to fly from solitude he soon became so absorbed however in his efforts to find the trail of his companions that he forgot all other considerations and ran straight forward for hours together with his eyes eagerly fixed on the ground at last he felt so hungry having tasted no food since supper time the previous evening that he halted for the purpose of eating a morsel of maple sugar a line of bushes in the distance indicated water so he sped on again and was soon seated beneath a willow drinking water from the cool stream no game was to be found here but there were several kinds of berries among which wild grapes and plums grew in abundance with these and some sugar he made a meal though not a good one for the berries were quite green and intensely sour all that day dick varley followed the trail of his companions which he discovered at a ford in the river. They had crossed, therefore, in safety, though still pursued, so he ran on at a regular trot, and with a little more hope than he had felt during the day. Towards night, however, Dick's heart sank again, for he came upon innumerable buffalo tracks, among which those of the horses soon became mingled up so that he lost them altogether hoping to find them again more easily by broad daylight he went to the nearest clump of willows he could find and encamped for the night remembering the use formerly made of the tall willows he set to work to construct a covering to protect him from the dew as he had no blanket or buffalo skin he used leaves and grass instead and found it a better shelter than he had expected especially when the fire was lighted and a pannikin of hot sugar and water smoked at his feet but as no game was to be found he was again compelled to sup off unripe berries before lying down to rest he remembered his resolution and pulling out the little bible read a portion of it by the fitful blaze of the fire and felt great comfort in its blessed words it seemed to him like a friend with whom he could converse in the midst of his loneliness the plunge into the river having broken dick's pipe and destroyed his tobacco he now felt the want of that luxury very severely and never having wanted it before he was greatly surprised to find how much he had become enslaved to the habit it cost him more than an hour's rest that night the craving for his wanted pipe the sagacious reader will doubtless not fail here to ask himself the question whether it is wise in man to create in himself an unnatural and totally unnecessary appetite which may and often does entail hours ay sometimes months of exceeding discomfort but we would not for a moment presume to suggest such a question to him we have a distinct objection to the ordinary method of what is called drawing a moral it is much better to leave the wise men to do this for themselves. Next morning Dick rose with the sun and started without breakfast, preferring to take his chance of finding a bird or animal of some kind before long to feeding again on sour berries. He was disappointed, however, in finding the tracks of his companions. The ground here was hard and sandy, so that little or no impression of a distinct kind was made on it, and as buffaloes had traversed it in all directions he was soon utterly bewildered he thought it possible that by running out for several miles in a straight line and then taking a wide circuit round he might find the tracks emerging from the confusion made by the buffaloes but he was again disappointed for the buffalo tracks still continued and the ground became less capable of showing a footprint soon Dick began to feel so ill and weak from eating such poor fare that he gave up all hope of discovering the tracks, and was compelled to push forward at his utmost speed in order to reach a less barren district, where he might procure fresh meat. But the farther he advanced, the worse and more sandy did the district become. For several days he pushed on over this arid waste without seeing bird or beast, and to add to his misery he failed at last to find water. For a day and a night he wandered about in a burning fever, and his throat so parched that he was almost suffocated. Towards the close of the second day he saw a slight line of bushes away down in a hollow on his right. With eager steps he staggered towards them, and on drawing near beheld, blessed sight, a stream of water glancing in the beams of the setting sun. Dick tried to shout for joy, BUT HIS PARCHED THROAT REFUSED TO GIVE UTTERANCE TO THE VOICE. IT MATTERED NOT. EXERTING ALL HIS REMAINING STRENGTH HE RUSHED DOWN THE BANK, DROPPED HIS RIFLE, AND PLUNGED HEAD FOREMOST INTO THE STREAM. THE FIRST MOUTHFUL SENT A THRILL OF HORROR TO HIS HEART. IT WAS SALT AS BRINE. THE POOR YOUTH'S CUP OF BITTERNESS WAS NOW FULL TO OVERFLOWING crawling out of the stream he sank down on the bank in a species of lethargic torpor from which he awakened next morning in a raging fever delirium soon rendered him insensible to his sufferings the sun rose like a ball of fire and shone down with scorching power on the arid plain what mattered it to dick he was far away in the shady groves of the mustang valley chasing the deer at times but more frequently cooling his limbs and sporting with crusoe in the bright blue lake now he was in his mother's cottage telling her how he had thought of her when far away on the prairie and what a bright sweet word it was she had whispered in his ear so unexpectedly too anon he was scouring over the plains on horseback with the savages at his heels and at such times dick would spring with almost supernatural strength from the ground and run madly over the burning plain but as if by a species of fascination he always returned to the salt river and sank exhausted by its side or plunged helplessly into its waters these sudden immersions usually restored him for a short time to reason and he would crawl up the bank and gnaw a morsel of the maple sugar but he could not eat much for it was in a tough, compact cake which his jaws had not the power to break. All that day and the next night he lay on the banks of the salt stream, or rushed wildly over the plain. It was about noon of the second day after his attack that he crept slowly out of the water into which he had plunged a few seconds before. His mind was restored, but he felt an indescribable sensation of weakness that seemed to him to be the approach of death creeping towards the place where his rifle lay he fell exhausted beside it and laid his cheek on the bible which had fallen out of his pocket there while his eyes were closed in a dreamy sort of half-waking slumber he felt the rough hairy coat of an animal brush against his forehead the idea of being torn to pieces by wolves flashed instantly across his mind and with a shriek of terror he sprang up To be almost overwhelmed by the caresses of his faithful dog. Yes, there he was bounding round his master, barking and whining and giving vent to every possible expression of canine joy. End of chapter thirteen. Recording by Aaron White.